Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. So today we have a special guest with us, who, someone who is a, a multi-skilled journalist, um, who is uh, does investigative reporting and photography, uh, specializes in reporting on communities of color and neglected populations. Um, so I'd like to introduce to you uh, Anissa Durham. Welcome, Anissa. Thank you for having me. So glad to have you. Uh, those of you tuning in, Anissa is a, she's currently a health data reporter at Word in Black, and she reports uh, a lot on healthcare inequities in the black community, but is also honored to be a 22-23 reporting health fellow at USC, and so has uh, produced a series um, you might look up called Lost Innocence, the Adultification of Black Children, the series. Um, So I'm I'm excited to have you um, because there's so much uh, going on um, and it's not new. Uh, I think it has some very old roots, but this topic of adultification, interestingly, um, I, I often take the time a lot of times to, to do, uh, do searches and, and figure out the definitions of words that we use. And so uh, interestingly that Adultification actually, by definition, I found this to be interesting, refers to the racial kind of uh, um, aspect to making children feel older or treating them older um, than they really are of black children. And not, it is not, by definition, generally applied to other kids. And I, I just found that to be fascinating that um, that it, it is so uh, prevalent that it happens to black children that it, it really is a part of the definition. So um, let me start by asking you, before we get into uh, your series and the work that you've done on that specifically, um, tell me, how did you end up? Uh, reporting and doing investigating reporting on communities of color and uh, other neglected populations? What what got you started in that? Just my own personal experience of being Black and Central American and having those different intersections of my identity. I was particularly, in my reporting, I've always been focused on voices of color, and I think Mm -hmm. that's just carried over into every position that I've had. So, I've been working at Word in Black since last July, and shortly after is when I applied and got the fellowship through USC. Um, So just to kind of, like, give a little back end of how that process happened, um, every few months or every year, USC has a reporting health fellowship where they um, accept, I want to say, about 20 reporters from across the country. Um, You basically just send a pitch, an idea of, this is what I want to report on for six months. My initial idea was actually about maternal health care, 
and then I switched to the adultification bias of black children, mostly because I had personal connections to that, and I felt like it was something that hasn't been talked about enough in the media, hasn't been um, reported on enough, and that kind of just took me into this journey of looking into how are black children adultified, how is this how does this experience um, dictate, like, their health, their mental health, their school mm-hmm. experiences? That was the the genesis of this Lost Innocence yes. Project. Yes, yes. And, um, you know, I have seen on the news, and I'm sure you've probably also seen in on social media, where there have been examples of children being assaulted by um, by people who are in the um, the education uh, responsible for them in the schools, uh, in the education system. Some of them are uh, school resource officers. Some are teachers. I just think about, I remember some years ago, a young lady wouldn't put her phone away, and they called the school uh, resource officer, um, and she said things she shouldn't have said, but... He then proceeded to pick her up in the desk and dump her out on the floor and drag her um, through the, the classroom, things like that. Um, and even to the extent of seeing six-year-old children, six-year-old black children being put in handcuffs and put in a police car, things like that. Um, from your research, what what do you see – that people are saying about what what is the 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 root cause of people seeing black children as older than they are yeah so i think kind of what you mentioned earlier if you look at the term adultification bias it's a stereotype based on the way that adults perceive children and their childlike behavior so Mm -hmm. a lot of it is rooted in anti-black racism that you know if you go back to child slavery or the way that children were used for labor or they weren't allowed to recreate or get education. So black children is, to be honest, not really seen as human. And Mm -hmm. one of, there was a few um, professors that I spoke to in particular, and they mentioned that, you know, when you think about how adultification plays out for black boys, about how they play, the way that Mm -hmm. their bodies are perceived to play. They, mm-hmm. they appear, society perceives them to be destructive or inappropriate or harmful. And that's kind of why we see, well, part of the reason why we see um, so many black kids being brutalized and just assaulted. Yeah. And um, the recent young boy that was shot in the head for yeah. bringing the door. So it's, I mean, there's so many different layers and, Specifically in the school part of it, there was another um, professor that I spoke to who did a research paper just actually last year. It was titled Feeling Black, Black Urban High School Youth in Visceral Geographies of Anti-Black Racism. And Mm -hmm. I bring that up because when I was doing this research, I thought, okay, typically you might think it's like white kids or white people that are just doing this against black youth and children. But really, when you look at anti-blackness, 
anybody can be anti-black. You can be black mm-hmm. and you can still be anti-black. Yes, and yes. in this paper, explored the black student experience that in a predominantly Latino school. So these students, you know, they're all students of color, but black students were treated differently. They felt like they didn't belong. They didn't have the space to participate in in activities and school activities and feel safe because when they spoke, when they interacted with each other, um, their their phrases or their being just wasn't accepted in the same way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's just all these different layers that contribute to anti-black violence and um, why one of something that he actually told me was that schools can be sites of suffering. Um, so it's just really interesting to dive into all of this research and just to also mention that this series is actually seven parts. So four articles were reported stories um, that included different interviews and different youth that are currently in high school or recently graduates of high school that told me about what it's like to be a black teen in school right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And, and that uh, especially in, in the, in, in, when it comes to discipline, and how the discipline numbers a couple of years ago, I had someone on that that was doing research on um, how discipline is handled in schools, and the numbers are staggering you know i've I've right. worked in some schools where uh, when you look we and I challenge a lot of the uh, the administrations to disaggregate the data and look and see. Who are they? Who's getting suspended? But I, I there were, and and I remember like the, it's interesting that in a district where fourteen percent of the population was African American, ninety percent of the suspensions were African American children, and it just goes yeah. on and on. But even even being there and seeing qualitatively the way children are spoken to and treated by adults is really concerning. Um, what, what, do you, what do you see through your research about in schools specifically? Yes, I'm glad you brought up that um, data portion because a big aspect of this um, project was making sure that I had like data visualizations and charts to support these experiences. So I was just, for two of the stories, they were mostly focused on California and just their Department of Education and their school system. Um, And you can see that black students are suspended at higher rates and they have, um, they're more likely to be suspended with like multiple times. So, I mean, for minor infractions, the, just the level of discipline is so much more egregious. And I spoke to two um, friends, actually, in San Diego, where I'm based, and I interviewed them at their school campus, and I was just talking to them, like, what, what's it like being in school? Because it's not like they're at a predominantly white school. It's predominantly mm-hmm. black and Hispanic, and a lot of the teachers were Hispanic or Latino. And one of the girls told me that um, anything, like, if, if she were to mess up, 
and another student were to do the same thing, she would be disciplined, like, much more than the other student. Mm-hmm. And one of her quotes was that, I just know that it's because I'm black. And she's, she's mm-hmm. 16, and she mm-hmm. already has all of these experiences, all of these stories of feeling like school isn't the safest place, but I'm trying my best. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, the, the students that I interviewed, you can tell they're very dedicated and they want to excel and they want to, you know, they value their education, but it also takes a toll on them when they're in an environment where teachers are having this expectation that they have to be like the best or in any slip up, they're going to get punished immediately. Absolutely. Absolutely. I also saw um, an experiment that was, was recorded and it was given to a group of teachers where they were asked to look at a film and they were put uh, in front of these computers and the computers, they were told that, they were they were asked to identify there were about four or five children sitting around a table playing with toys and they were asked to identify the bad behavior that was was going to happen and they had white and black children sitting at the table but what the experiment was really about was that they were measuring their eye movement and and the computer was recording where they focused and the majority of the time when they were told to look for bad behavior, even though none was occurring, um, they, the eye focus was primarily on the um, black boy. And I just, just, I just seeing that just made me go, wow. And that was among mixed groups. So to your point earlier, you know, not just, non-black or non-people of color is that there were people of color there as well. Um, which brings me to, you know, my, my next question is how prevalent do you think it is or that you have you seen that kind of black or, um, or, or people of color also holding those same stereotypes? Mm, yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I think, to be honest, we all have stereotypes and perceptions that we need to work yeah. through. Uh, I think in my reporting of talking to different Black policy analysts and professors and researchers and students and advocates, everyone has a story. I mean, part of the reason I got into this reporting project, doing this series, is because I had personal experience with being adultified Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just to kind of go into some of the other reported pieces in this series um there's two stories where i focus on more of the child sexual abuse and sexualization aspect because for a lot of girls you might not necessarily be over disciplined in schools the same way you know boys might be or um yeah (laughs) the way that boys might be but that sexualization piece of your body, you know, you're growing and you're maturing and people are labeling you as fast or promiscuous or, oh, you already have a boyfriend and just all these really inappropriate comments to make to children. But because, oh, well, it's a black girl, she already knows about sex. The assumption that she knows about sex is 
yeah, it needs to be dismissed, to be honest, because yes. it's not helpful. And it, it sets this idea that, you know, when when black girls are being abused, well, it's their fault. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, you wouldn't say that about any other, like, race of children. Yeah. So, yeah. like, what is the difference with, with black girls? Because there's this perception that, well, you already know about sex or you're already having sex or you're already doing inappropriate things because our bodies are viewed for sex specifically. So Yes, yes. Yes, yeah. and, and <laughs> I mean, you raised, you, know, you raised some very good points, and particularly, you know, just staying with girls for a moment is that mm-hmm. um, the whole idea that, so their dances, and I, I remember there was this one, um, this one uh, uh, clip that was shared on social media probably two or three years ago, and it was a troop of of white dancers um that were doing um a a set of dances that um i i just i remember thinking if that had been black girls they would have been objectified you know it would have been um you know sexual like the movements and particularly african dance there are a lot of movements of the hips and, you know, uh, uh, and, and so a lot of people take that to be, and they sexualize it. And, but in this case, you know, it was, it went viral and there wasn't a single comment about the girl's bodies or anything like that, but had it been, and that's, that's exactly how it is um, that they they are objectified now I you know something that I just I, I saw recently was and I know that this there there have been a number of people who have gone on to be um, you know models or what have you um, is that um, I was just I just saw a matter of fact this morning where the young lady who was um, um, on the LSU basketball team. Remember how that disparity, how the media treated the young lady from oh, Iowa, right. right, versus versus the 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 black girl from uh, from from LSU, and mm-hmm. they were they were you know both and there were young women that um, were playing the sport. And they were really um, uh, into the sport, and they made a, an issue out of what the 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 black the young black woman do, did uh, on the court, and that's often what happens. Um, but I, I was just I saw this morning where now they've asked her to become, even though she's a scholar and an athlete, um, she's a Sports Illustrated model. And there's nothing wrong with it, but my point is, is just that, so what about, her? she's smart, she's academics, you know, like what, what about highlighting some of that, and you don't see much of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, in, in one of the articles that I did, um, Why Do We View Black Girls as Sex Objects, I was really uh, intentional intentional about the language that I use and about just the experiences that these 
now young women that I spoke to had when they were young girls or teens. And I start off the article with a direct quote. It might come off a little shocking, but it says, I think you need my dick in your life. And that was a comment that one of the women that mm. I spoke to was told in a Barnes and Noble as a teen. Just mm. a stranger comfortable enough. Oh, I see this young black teenager. I'm going to tell her something wildly inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's just one of the comments. You get these cat calls yeah. from men. You get just, like, sexual comments about a developing body. And it's really because they're black girls in the way that they're viewed to be objects. And mm-hmm. I spoke to uh, this the vice president of education at Planned Parenthood, and she focuses on sex education, and she centers it on black youth. And she, she was a really fun person to interview. But one thing that she mentioned, she was like, if we constantly posit that girls' bodies are only useful and worthy of any attention, if it's in a sexual light, then are we saying that that's only because they're used for pleasure for people with penises? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. just, you know, adultification and, and sexuality and all these different layers to this stereotype, it can be very harmful to, you know, girls growing up and trying to figure out what is my identity if everyone keeps labeling me like I'm just a sex object like how do I how do I navigate this? Yeah. And one thing that I also kind of um, discovered, I guess you can say, is that a lot of some of these comments start in the home. And uh-huh. I don't know if I I'm gonna point any fingers, but you know sometimes it can be the grandparents or the older generations or yeah. you know parents just trying to prepare in a sense their children for what the world is going to say, but in reality, it's a bit more harmful than it is, you know, helpful. Yeah. Another woman that I spoke to, she was saying that, you know, her, her mom and her grandparents would just be on her about her clothing. They didn't want her to dress like a hoochie mama. They didn't want her to wear anything revealing. And she was like, I just covered up so much and people thought I was a boy, and they assumed, they started making assumptions about her sexuality. So it's like you're trying to navigate growing up, but then people are telling you, you're doing, you know, now you look like a boy, and now they're right. your sexuality, and now she's getting bullied. So it's just, it's almost like you can't win. Right, but right. One of the, you know, policy analysts that I, I spoke to, she was just saying that, a lot of it is rooted in this trauma of like, okay, we've survived all these different hardships in our communities, but let's like prepare our children. But in reality, we need to acknowledge these traumas and work towards healing and find better ways to, you know, teach our children and to prepare them for the world, but also not making them feel like there's something wrong with their bodies because they're developing and growing. Absolutely. What you what you just said about the homes resonates a lot with me because um, I I had a similar thought when I see people posting pictures where they might have I saw literally a, a kindergarten graduation picture online 
And uh, so what are we talking, five-year-olds that had makeup mm-hmm. on or had um, had had um, eyelashes done with their nails done, things like that. Um, and I just, I just said, I mean, I'm sure that there are probably other groups of people that do that. I'm not saying it's exclusively uh, groups of blacks or people of color, uh, but certainly I don't see much of it um, uh, of other groups. And um, so in the home, uh, I think is a good place to look and figure out. So what is it that we need to do? Um, actually, I just got a, a, um, a chat that came in from a listener just now uh, that said, can you ask how the African-American community can prevent the adultification of our kids? Um, um, uh, it goes on to say, I noticed the schools do it, but how can black parents and guardians unlearn um, the adultification of black kids? Yeah, I think that, that's a great question, and that's definitely a question that I had asking this. And I think because there's so many, so many layers to how adultification presents itself, there's the aspect of sexualizing kids or criminalizing them or over-disciplining them. Honestly, I think there's different answers for each thing. I think in as far as in the home, I think we need to be more diligent about having conversations with our children, but also mm-hmm. recognizing what traumas do I have that I don't want to pass down to my kids. Yeah. So I spoke yeah. to, there's actually, I did an audio and visual story in this series and it's part of the reason I did that is because I spoke to so many people that had all these different experiences from parents to professors to, you know, lived experience with mental health issues and all these different things that I wanted to kind of highlight in their own voice, how they felt about this. And one woman in particular, she's a mother and she was talking about her experience being adultified and how now that she has two young children, she's working really hard to not repeat those same patterns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she spoke about just kind of like, um, I'm I'm looking for the term that she used, like reparenting. So where, you know, you work to identify triggers from your own childhood and you work towards healing that so that you don't then repeat it onto your kids. Yeah. So also just being careful about the language, right? It's, really not appropriate to call your kid fast if they're trying to, you know, dress or they're, they want to explore their style or yeah, promiscuous. Yeah. Like why is little girl promiscuous or why are we just assuming that little, little boys are dangerous or harmful or, or that either, you know, boy or girl are thinking about sex. Like why, yeah. why is that assumption there? So yeah. asking more questions, as a parent, as a guardian, and, you know, prepare your, have, have conversations with your kids to yeah. let them know, hey, maybe this isn't appropriate right now, but we can, why don't we try this style or why don't we try something different? Yeah. Well, uh, especially w- what you just mentioned about uh, style, I think back, I have girls and um, I think back to an early experience I had um, and and this was actually in Alabama. I, one one of my daughters went with me, 
and we needed to uh, go and we're going to church and going to buy um, some some shoes for her. And all the shoes, and I'm, I'm going to say she was about eight at the time, but every pair of shoes had a heel. And I kept right. thinking, why are there, I mean, nowhere could we go um, and find a shoe that was just a, a nice flat shoe uh, that, I mean, a reasonable heel, but uh, these, all of them had two inch heels or, or so. And I just thought it was inappropriate for eight year olds, <laughs> you know, and it's, I was trying my best to find something else. Um, and so, you know, it's fashion, but the other thing is about what we see on television uh, and what they right. see. And so, which is, is it influences them a lot, their tastes, what they think is appropriate and otherwise. And I agree, you know, let them develop their sense of style. Uh, I guess there's, there has to be a balance um, because there's, there's a way in which they, they wear certain clothes and the clothes are designed for for adults. Uh, they they are very re- revealing or or for kind of form fitting or or what have you. And and especially to a developing body, whether it's a boy or a girl, um, to a developing body, people uh, look and 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 make assumptions as you as you mentioned. So I think some of it is we also have to push back on um, what people are are giving to us as options that this is what, this is what is available to you. Right. Right. And I think it's also important to recognize that everyone's going to parent differently and what might be, you know, appropriate for some parents might not fly with other parents. Yeah. So, you know, (laughs) kind of just have to like respect each other's perceptions and, I guess, opinions of issues to parent, but, yeah, I, I yeah. <laughs> Leave it yeah, no, I, no, I, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. Look, I know we're already out of time. I told you it was going to go fast, uh, but I do want to give you an opportunity. I, I really enjoyed, as I said, your, uh, your article that I read. Um, but uh, you, you give the audience um, places where they might find you, any social media handles, but also. Um, where to find that that report that series you had on lost innocence? Um, how how can we we follow and 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 support you? Yeah, so you can go to wordandblack.com and you go to our series page. There's a tab that says lost innocence where you'll find a drop down of all of the reported pieces. I did a, a Twitter space with my editor. Um, we also had a town hall with some of the experts an hour-long Zoom discussion that you can also check out, and we talk a little bit more about that healing aspect. Um, I also did a reporter's notebook where I give my firsthand experience reporting on this series and just some of the Mm -hmm. different challenges I face. As far as social media, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Anissa D Media, same handle for both. I'm pretty active on Twitter. Um, My DMs are open. My email is anisa.durham at localmedia.org. So if you want to reach out or if you have any questions, I'm more than happy to, you know, respond to an email or a Twitter DM. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And again, thank you for coming on. And I just want to encourage you to keep uh, 
writing and reporting, investigating on this important topic. Um, I, I, you added to me today, and I'm sure so many other people who were listening in. Um, and so wishing you the best. And so until next time, go well, stay well. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.